Voice Global is coming June 9th, a fully virtual event packed with live keynotes from industry leaders and innovators, practical workshops, insightful panels, and some well-deserved entertainment for voice enthusiasts around the world. Learn more about this free event and how to host a viewing party at voicesummit.ai slash global. That's voicesummit.ai slash global. And great news, if you still want to speak at Voice Summit 2020 this fall, submissions are now open through June. So be sure to get your proposals in at voicesummit.ai. Ricardo Garcia Amaya, the CEO of VOIQ, worked in technology for a long time and started VOIQ in 2015, where he raised a $5 million seed round from Y Combinator and other Silicon Valley investors. You'll hear him talk about his journey into technology, why voice innovation is helpful for businesses, what it's like to pitch to investors, the data and feedback he's received from his users, and why he founded the Top 20 Latino Tech Leaders organization and what it entails. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Carrie Roberts. And today, my guest is Ricardo Garcia Amaya, the CEO of VOIQ. Welcome, Ricardo. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. So you went to school for politics, and then at age 19, you entered at the IBM TJ Watson Center, and you got to work with Dr. Nahamu, one of the original leaders in speech recognition. And I'm curious where your interest in technology came in and why the degree in politics back then. For sure. So it has to do with uh, my background. So a quick answer to that. My dad was uh, ambassador to the United Nations representing Colombia, and he's been an ambassador in multiple places since then. So that's, uh, I have a high affinity to uh, political science, politics, government, which you can trail in the, looking at my professional career. You can get glimpses of it here and there. But the affinity to technology has always been from the beginning. I mean, my dad, I'll take you back. So I was born in New York. I was raised in Colombia in the outskirts of the capital, Bogota, in a farm outside a town little called Cajica. And my mom is American. My dad is very much Colombian. And uh, I lived there for 15 years with my two younger brothers. And my family moves to New York because of my dad gets appointed to the United Nations. And they keep going to different embassies. The three brothers stayed in the U.S. So if you finish school here, I went to NYU undergrad where I study politics and art history minor, the <laughs> so liberal arts. Around uh, like uh, senior year of college, I started a technology consulting firm working with companies like Best Buy as customers and the New York Public Library, which is one of the biggest library systems in the country. That was a really cool experience. And then I decided to do my MBA NYU, which was an awesome experience. After that, I worked at the mayor's office, uh, the third term of uh, Michael Bloomberg's term in office in New York City, which was awesome. It was incredible. You get to learn so much about the state of affairs inside of a 300,000 employee organization. It was incredible. After that, I helped a friend run for mayor in Providence, Rhode Island. He became the first Latino mayor of the capital of the state of Rhode Island. And I was running many aspects of the technology for that campaign, among them virtual call centers. And that's where I got to see how this technology was so old school. I've been using that technology 10 years prior and nothing has changed. So I decided to build VOIQ in that space 
that brings me to, uh, I moved to Silicon Valley with my wife. My wife works at Google. Interestingly enough, we both are in voice. So she works in the global product partnership team at Google for the Google Assistant. And so uh, we moved to Silicon Valley. My company, or I go through Y Combinator, the top accelerator in the world, technology investor. And I have incredible mentors, Michael Siebel, who's the CEO, uh, the current CEO of Y Combinator. He sold this company to Twitch for a billion dollars. I have Kassar, who sold two of his companies to Google. Now it's on his third one. Gary, who sold his company to Twitter. And now he has uh, an initialized capital of $500 million fund with um, Alexis Onahan, the founder of Reddit. So these were the immediate mentors that I was able to meet and work with very closely from the moment that you know, I pretty much landed into Silicon Valley and went through Y Combinator. And after that, you know, we raised uh, five million, and that brings us here. And we'd love to obviously talk about BioIQ. But to take one quick step back as to my affinity to technology, my dad got me an IBM. I'm thinking somewhere in the mid '80s, and I remember we had to buy different parts. He had a friend. He always claimed that potentially was a, a Russian spy. <laughs> he knew a lot about technology. So he was an awesome friend to me. And with him, we were able to build a modem, you know, and get the first modem to be able to dial out from my IBM computer from in the mid-80s. So and since then, you know, I've just always been in love with technology. That's the beginning of my affinity to technology. I love that. And I love that voice has not only been throughout a lot of your life, but now is in your personal life that you and your wife both do it was just an extra bonus there. So as you've said, you've been working in this space for such a long time and you started VOIQ in 2015. Whereas you just mentioned, you also raised a $5 million seed round from Y Combinator and other top Silicon Valley investors. You know, why did you start the company? And I'm curious, what was your experience with Y Combinator like? Because people have heard about it, but they don't really understand like the process or how it works. And I'd love for you to share that with us if you could. For sure. So first, the caliber of the mentors of Y Combinator, I guess they call themselves partners and they are partners. It's the best quality I've seen out there in terms of technology accelerators. The reason why I moved from New York City to Silicon Valley, it's because Silicon Valley has 60 years of institutional knowledge of building technology products and investing in technology products. So here, the mentorship that you get if you are an early stage startup founder, it's like nowhere else. The mentors that you get, they all build their own companies. They sold their own companies, if not one, two, three. They're serial successful entrepreneurs with many failures in between, right? So these are the type of mentors that you want to surround yourself with. And, you know, I was in New York. I love New York. I lived in New York for 20 years. And, you know, in New York, we have the acronym FIRE, uh, finance, insurance, and real estate. And those are the biggest markets in New York. Technology, for sure, is going to be a huge industry, not only in New York, but across the country. But New York does not have 60 years of institutional knowledge of investors and founders that build their own technology product companies. It has a handful of them and very successful among them, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg. But if you look at the history of that type of institutional knowledge in venture capital and in building tech products, it really goes back 20 years in New York City. And if you look at other cities, again, you're looking at 10 years, right? As opposed to 60, almost 70 years in Silicon Valley. So definitely, I think Y Combinator epitomizes that move is being at the epicenter of successful founders who build 
product and they know how to do it. They've done it multiple times. Not only they build it multiple times, and now they're investing in other founders. So they understand what it is to invest in founders rather than in specific product. Yeah. And I know, you know, voice has such a large role, especially in innovating in the business space, including things like a voice dashboard, search, voice meeting assistance, and more. And for those that are either newer to voice or even for those who work in the voice community, you know, agencies, startups, and they're trying to get companies to understand the power of voice technology, can you describe how and why voice innovation is helpful for businesses from your perspective? Yeah, for sure. So we're definitely in the awareness stage of voice. So if you're looking at from like a marketing sales perspective, you have like the different stages of a buyer journey. You have awareness, consideration, and decision stage where you actually know what you want and now you know that you need it and you need to make a decision. We are in the awareness stage very early on. So basically you're looking at 99.9% of businesses globally do not know that they can leverage voice as a channel, as a marketing sales, customer service channel. But by voice, I mean AI voice, conversational voice. So super early stages, one of the interesting things that when we have meetings with customers and it ranges from, you know, we have worked with small businesses. Now we're targeting mid-market and enterprise and we have a handful of uh, the larger type of businesses and even the larger type of businesses, including the biggest marketplace in the world. During the initial meetings that we have with heads of marketing or heads of, you know, VP of marketing, VP of uh, automation, VP of whatever, right? Any of these conversations that we have with them, one of the things that tends to happen over and over is that they come in very curious with one use case and they said, hey, we were thinking, you know, can your voice bot have a conversation with our prospects over the phone for this specific use case? And we said, yes. And then they start, you see their sort of uh, the ideas just bouncing in their head and they start coming up with different scenarios and say, wait a second, we also have this issue in logistics where we have thousands of, let's say, drivers and we need to make sure that to get their attention, text, email doesn't work as fast. Can we leverage your voice bots and be triggered by the fact that, you know, if they are done with one appointment, can a voice bot automatically triggers and have a conversation with them and ask them where they are or where they're going to remind them, right? So these are the conversations that we're having every day with prospective customers. We've had them with small business. Now we're having them with mid-market and enterprise. And what we see is that it's just the like day one learning about what they can use the voice channel for. I, as an example of these type of conversations, how it feels to be on my side when I'm speaking to one of these heads of marketing, heads of customer service, head of pretty much any department because voice is a channel, right? And it could be leveraged for every single one of these areas. But the easiest example to share how this feels from my perspective is I'm imagining it, you know, 25 years ago, maybe early 90s, and people are starting to use email to email their grandma or their family members. And I start a business and start saying, hey, you know what? You could use email for business. And they will ask, how? Right? And you said, well, you, let's say, you know, you can use it for sales, you can use it for customer service. Can you give me an example of how you use, uh, you know, an email for customer service? Yeah, it would be like this, right? Could you give me an example of how we use email for email? That's literally where we are when it comes to a conversational voice as a channel in the world of businesses. So, you know, it will definitely take a number of years before. I mean, there's some really interesting studies that said, you know, by two years, 30% of the enterprise will be using AI voice across channels, right? And that's a really big number. But it took about six, seven years from when chatbots came out 
to now you see pretty much every other website having a conversational chatbot on the lower right hand corner, right? But it took like six years to get there. So we're like very early days of adopting AI voice, using it across multiple channels, or using it on the phone in the case of VOIQ. And, and I can definitely share with you, you know, what type of use cases and all the stuff. Uh, companies can use it, a conversational bot that sounds like a human that can have a conversation with their prospects or with their customers over the phone. Yeah, I think you made two really good points here. Number one, that we are still in the awareness stage. And I think we forget those of us that are in the voice space because we're living, breathing, and talking about it all the time, that it's still an issue, that we still need to educate and make people aware of what's going on. And I like the example you gave about when email first came out, that people just saw it as, oh, I can email my friend or my relative. But now how people have used it across the board for, like you said, sales and marketing, and that now we have to educate very specific examples. I'd love for you to talk about what your company VOIQ does now, you know, in 2020. And if it's possible, if you can share with us what you've been working on, maybe what you've learned through the process, including some data or feedback you've received from users of your voice service. Yep, for sure. Happy to do so. So with VOIQ, we are empowering businesses to leverage voice bots. Again, voice bots, bots that sound like humans on the phone. It can have a very simple conversation as of now with their prospect, customers, etc. I can share a couple of use cases of how voice bot, conversational voice bot to human works, and I'll happy to share a couple of them. So the second piece of your question, which is what can you share that is kind of really exciting, kind of coming up in the space that we're dealing with, it's the having an AI voice bot, having a conversation with another AI voice bot. So that part just, you know, I love it because not so long ago in the chatbot circles, you know, chatbot, the conversational chatbots, conversational AI, conversational voice bots. In these circles, we've been kind of, there's a kind of running joke, seeing how this is evolving and saying, wait a second, does this mean that like my voice bot will be talking to your voice bot or my chatbot will be talking to your chatbot, right? That's actually where we are already. We're working with clients where they're leveraging our voice bots to speak to another voice bot. And, you know, it's kind of hard to understand these type of use cases, but we're seeing them and we just, the more we do them, the more we realize that there's also a huge space for this and we can start to see where this is going, where a, a chatbot talks to a chatbot or a voice bot talks to a voice bot. So it's really interesting. So I'll, I'm happy to share as well, you know, a use case in, in that bot to bot type of space. But in the bot to human, the AI conversational voice bot to human over the phone, I'll share with you a use case in marketing, for example. So pretty much every business that knows what they're doing in marketing and they have content, uh, they have a call to action on their site, a form that you know, they'll ask the people that are navigating their website that are interested in learning more to fill in. So in any of these call to actions, right now, there's one amazing company that I know that now is worth, I think is $140 billion, which is Salesforce, that it's incredible at sales themselves, right? And they've been incredible leveraging the power of phone calls, right? There are books about it and they're the champions. I don't know if you ever dealt with a company like Salesforce when they're trying to get you as a customer, but it almost feels like they know exactly what you're doing <laughs> because at the time where with most relevancy, where you're thinking about them when you're visiting their site, when you're visiting an email, you will get a call from them and you will get a call from a human reminding you about, hey, you know, we noticed that you download an ebook. We're happy to talk to you, blah, blah, right? That is the ultimate example of what a successful company who is an expert in leveraging the phone channel 
what it does, right, and how it uses it. The majority of businesses in the world do not have the manpower to actually have humans calling people at the right time whenever they interact with their product in some way. Well, voice bots in marketing enables any business, not Salesforce, with, you know, with deep pockets, but any business to engage their customers at the right time when it's highly relevant, when they're, you know, filling out a form, when they have that intent to move forward, they can trigger automatically voice bots that engage their customers. So for example, if you're looking uh, to get insurance for your car and you go to a website for car insurance, you fill out the form. They'll want to know very basic stuff first because they want to make sure that you fill it up. And after you fill it up, five minutes later, a voice bot will be able to call you and say, hi, you know, Carrie, thank you very much for your interest in X car insurance. We would just need a couple of additional questions. Does your car have more than 100,000 miles? Isn't that? You will be able to answer. And that's how they further qualify you and immediately could transfer you to a human to get you set up, right? So that's one very typical use case within the marketing world of how you can leverage voice bots that sound like humans that call your customers and engage them at a moment that is relevant, very different to the perception. Anybody who knows about sales and marketing knows that you should never use any channel in a non-relevant moment, right? So cold calls, not good. You know, cold emails, not great, right? Still used, but not great. So you definitely definitely want to use all of these channels when the customers, when the prospects are interacting with your brand or interacting with your product at the most relevant times. And that's where you can use a voice bot to interact with your customers. That would be one example within marketing. Yeah. And I think that's a really good one. And I just want to add a side note to it because I was on your website and you had a video showing an example. And I think something that's so small yet so important is the speed at which your voice AI speaks. One of the frustrations I personally have with like Alexa and Google Assistant is I feel like I want it to talk faster. It's so slow. But I feel like with yours and the example that is on your website, it feels like a human being. It's it's talking at the speed that a human would be, which I think is great. It, It makes it feel more personal and more humanized in a good way. And I also, I mean, I've personally used chatbots And have found them to be extremely helpful and successful in lead generation and qualifying exactly what you're talking about. So it makes sense that the natural progression would be to use something like what you all are doing. That's right. So can you share, again, have you had any feedback from your clients that are using this as far as like the ROI or feedback they're hearing from their customers? Can you share any of that with us? Yeah, for sure. So actually, you mentioned something interesting about the speed at which the voice bot speaks. Mm-hmm. So one key distinction of what we are, we are a SaaS platform that allows any company to run their campaigns, their call campaigns carried out by voice bots based on actions or interactions that the customer prospects have with their website, kind of like the example that I mentioned with the call to action. In our SaaS platform, you're able to control the speed, you're able to control pronunciation, you're going to control accents, you're able to control, you know, the, obviously the voice, whether it's a man or a woman or any number of things. Things that were extremely difficult to do if you have humans. One of the coolest things that you can do with voice bots over the phone channel is that you can run psychographic data to be able to figure out quickly who's the best person to make a specific call to a specific customer. It, with humans, it's extremely difficult to count on, well, this person, is, this call is going to be for a customer or prospect in Texas. So it'd be great to have somebody with a Texan accent, or it'd be great if it's a I don't know, women between the ages of 30, 40, or a man between the ages of, I don't know, 20, 30, right? These are things that exist in the world of 
human making sales calls or marketing calls or customer service calls. But it's such a difficult variable and it takes a long time to test to get to that. Where with voice bots, it takes you, you know, you run an experiment in five minutes and you'll be able calling, you know, a hundred individuals and you quickly realize which is the best type of persona that you need to target a specific and uh, the other person on the phone, your customer, your prospect with and match them to the perfect uh, voice bot. So to that point of, you know, you are in full control of customizing it. I think the easiest way to think of what we do for voice bots is thinking of other SaaS platforms and what they do for email automation. So if you look at Outreach, right, uh, now probably over a billion dollars worth, founded by a, a fellow Latino tech leader in the U.S., they are one of the most successful automation platforms uh, when it comes to email. And it's a SaaS platform when you go and create sequences, et cetera, for marketing sales emails. We are that, but for voice bots, right? So you can trigger voice bots to have natural conversations on the phone with your customers and prospects. Another interesting example that you mentioned was uh, kind of the, one of the champions in chatbots, which is Drift, also founded by two U.S. Latino founders and also another billion dollar, another unicorn in the space. So to find a comparison of what we do, what BYQ does, we are a SaaS company just like the email automation platform and just like the chatbots, conversational chatbots on your site. This one is for voice and over specifically over the call channel. To your initial questions, learnings from customers, the type of impact that they've had running voice bots. So if you go back over a year and a half, there was no company leveraging voice bots for these type of calls. We're the first SaaS platform that provides this service, as a SaaS platform providing voice bots for sales, marketing, customer service, customer service, you name it, fill in the blank in all of these channels. And so it's been a really awesome learning experience for us and for our customers. We have customers launching campaigns in different languages. We have in different regions, in Europe, in Latin America, and obviously our core market is the United States and our core language is English with multiple variations of accents. We have learned a ton on the way that different target customers or target prospects interact with the phone based by industry, based on geography, based on language. So we learn a lot. And one of the interesting things about uh, working with AI conversational voice bots, it's that every interaction makes the next interaction smarter or more successful. So for example, most of our campaigns are in English and our voice bot, it's way more proficient in having longer conversations or more accurate conversations in English than in any other language. So anytime we launch welcome a customer that wants to launch a campaign in a different language, we know that the learning curve is steeper because the training is much lower when it comes to a different language than English. So they're definitely really interesting since we've seen for when it's used for marketing and sales, we definitely see the moving the needle, mostly because they're using AI voice bots, for example, in sales for enabling professional sales agents. So it's not quite, let's say, replacing a human agent making calls and you know closing a sale. That won't happen. But you can, and for a while, for at least five years, I would say. But at the level that you can leverage a voice bot in sales, you uh, about fifty percent of demos that are scheduled to do, you know, to show your product to a third party, fifty percent of them do not show up, and that's a lot of wasted time. So voice bots are able to confirm with the prospect if they're going to show up. So the you know voice bot goes out, hi Carrie, just uh, want to make sure that you're called with Ricardo from BYQ, you know, in, in half an hour. 
will you be able to attend? And you'll be joining, yes, no, if you can't, let's reschedule. So we'll be able to reschedule for you, right? So this is a huge help for sales agents to take care of all that big challenge that causes so many people falling off that sales funnel because you have to you know, constantly check back with them and reschedule them to get them on track. So for sales enabling, that's how it moved dramatically the needle in terms of conversion, mostly because it's preventing human error. Sales uh, professionals love closing, but they don't like chasing people around when they don't show up or reminding them to show up, et cetera. And that's what a, a voice bot is very successful at because it will do it 100% of the time, right? At the 100% at the best time that it needs to be done. And if you need to call that person you know, six times to reschedule or to confirm, it will do it. Whereas a salesperson just does not want to do that, right? So you see it dramatically moving the needle when it's used, for example, in sales enablement as well as the initial example of the use case when you use for like marketing, automated workflows in marketing where the voice bot is deployed based on an action that somebody, a customer, a prospect did on the website or another property. So for sure, early on, we're learning a, a ton along with our customers, not only the way that it moves the needle, but the many use cases that our customers bring to us, right? We start with several use cases that is our expertise, in marketing and sales automation. And then we have customers coming up with some incredible use cases that we, they, they come and ask, you know, would this work for logistics for this specific scenario? And we said, yeah. And so we spin it out and we run it and it works for them. And suddenly we're like, huh, that's yet another way that we never thought that conversational voice bots over the phone channel can work. So we are increasingly growing the number of use cases in different industries as they come and as they are thinking of the use cases and share them with us. Yeah, I love that. And I think you know, you're know you bringing to light again why it's called voice assistant, because it really does act like kind of that assistant you need to do the kind of minute you know tasks that you hate doing <laughs> and the detailed work, yet that really matters in the full process. And I think it's so great to see that things like your company are coming to fruition for businesses in this way. And another thing that you have created is founding the Top 20 Latino Tech Leaders Organization. Why was highlighting the Latino community and technology so important to you? And what does this organization do? For sure. So when I first moved to Silicon Valley, I reached out to a couple of friends that were Latino, that were founders of their own tech startups. And I started asking them, who else do you know who is Latino founder in tech? And they're able to point me out to one or two or three. And so little by little, I start kind of mapping them and getting introductions. And at some point I said, you know what, let's make sure that the next person like me who wants to see who are the top Latino tech leaders, not only Silicon Valley, but in the United States, they can literally type it in Google and it'll show up, right? So that was my first initial intention. It's like if somebody else, like another me comes up later, I already mapped it. So let's make sure they see it. And also it's very important for the future Latino community to have visibility into success cases. So I identify, you know, over 40 very successful founders of technology companies who have sold companies in excess of billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that I myself did not even know until I started working a project. And beyond mapping it and getting to know them, I started hosting it about five years ago. Uh, once a year, we meet at the top Latino tech leaders in the United States to exchange ideas and to support each other. And that has been 
you know, great. I would say Marcelo Claudio is probably the most important Latino in tech at this point. He's a tech founder, but now he's the COO of uh, SoftBank. So he writes billion dollar checks. And from then we have a series of, if you go to uh, latinotechleaders.org, you get to see the stories of the top Latino tech leaders. And you have their very young founders selling companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, very few people or very, even few Latinos know that they have done that. So to me, bringing visibility of the success stories of people that look like me to the next generation of Latinos is very important. So that's why I put together the group. That's why we meet. And that's why, you know, it's easy to, when you have somebody graduating from high school and want to pursue a career in tech as a founder or just working in tech or one of the mystified Silicon Valley or New York tech scene or whatever, they found us all the time. They write through us through the website and they said, hey, you know, I saw this person and that who works at this company or the founder of this company who's Latino, you know, would it be a possibility to get to know more about them, blah, blah, right? And so we get a lot of emails because even just the visibility, we solve for the visibility aspect of at least featuring them. And I'm surprised every so often there's a, you know, a unicorn out there by a US Latino founder and, you know, I get very excited because then we map it <laughs> and we connect. And then that's yet another point person for the future generation of Latinos in the United States to know that they can count on that person, to know that they can engage with that person and know that, that someone like them made it in the tech space. So that's the reason behind creating the group of the top Latino tech leaders in the U.S. Yeah. And I congratulate you on doing that. And I love that, you know, through our whole conversation today, there's this theme of, just awareness and education and community that you're doing beyond, you know, your kind of day-to-day work that I think is really important to note. And I love that that's just a part of everything you're putting out there. The last question we like to ask on this show to help promote voice technology as a whole, is there currently a flash briefing or voice skill or experience that you're using or really enjoying right now? I personally like to tinker with a bunch of stuff. So automation, my home is a thing. It's a very strong thing. So most recently, I've just been playing with a motion sensor that can trigger Google Assistant to play spa music in the bathroom when you walk in. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. so, so that's a project. It's interesting how the Google Assistant you know, can do a million things outwardly, but it's interesting. It's harder to make it play from a different IoT device. So I love that kind of challenge and, you know, automated pretty much everything in the home, make, make triggers for everything. I would say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my wife works at the Global Product Partnerships at Google, specifically on the Google Assistant and specifically in the, uh, well, she covered many verticals, but uh, right now she's working on the recipes. So basically, if you have like a Google Assistant with the screen in your kitchen and you want to ask, you know, how do I cook lasagna or embarrassing enough, I ask Google Assistant how to boil chicken because I have a little chihuahua. <laughs> Directions were pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little bit dumber that day, but, uh, <laughs> but I want to make sure I get it right. So anyway, so that's one of the, you know, I would say Leslie's work in the recipe section on the Google Assistant is one that we use a lot also because we're beta testers of, of the Google Assistant, not skills. I don't want to say skills, but the actions rather. Yes, I love that. It, you know, and, and it's funny because that's part of what voice does. It's like you can, you know, how we do search now with our phone, but voice will be easier. You can ask those questions you feel silly asking sometimes and it helps educate you. So I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah, somewhere in Google, they know that I ask on how to boil chicken. Which is pretty <laughs> That's all right. No, there's a, you know, no judgment here. I like it. If people want to connect with you or learn more about what we talked about today, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, they can reach to me directly. My email, ricardo at boiq.com and check out our website, boiq, as in voice intelligence or voice IQ, boiq.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ricardo, for being here and sharing your insight. And I look forward to hearing more about what you and your company do in the future. Excellent. Thank you for having me, Kerry. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at M-O-D-E-V.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.